0: For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. All right, morning CityWalk Church. Well, it is, it's is—it's good to have you guys, as I said, when I welcomed you for, for the uh, four of you that were here when we first did the welcome at the very beginning. Uh, I'm glad that uh, you came out today. Today's one of those days that you had to really think, like, do I really want to be out in 108 degrees? I mean, I know I love, Jesus is good, but I mean, is he good enough to go out for 108 degrees? Or, or maybe you got promised a lunch afterwards. Somebody invited you to church and you're like, you know what, the lunch. Or you found out, oh, today's their six-month birthday at City Walk. And so I, I heard something about some absolutely... Heard something about some cupcakes afterwards, and so you know what, we'll brave the 108 degrees uh, to, to be at church. Well, No matter why you came, or no matter where you are in your faith journey, we're so thankful that you're here. And as I did say, we're, we're excited to be six months in. Six months ago today, it was a lot cooler, and we were really nervous, and it was our very first Sunday. And so it's been cool to watch how God has just continued to work. We have new faces every single week. People are getting connected in in city groups. Our youth ministry is is just doing better than what it should be doing at six months old, thanks to the leadership that they have there. And so we're thankful that you're here. And and as we kind of celebrate this six-month birthday, what we're going to do this week to celebrate, we're obviously going to have some cupcakes for ourselves, but what we would like to do is as we celebrate six months, we want to do something for our community, and so what we are going to challenge you to do this week, and you'll see it if you follow our social media, is we're going to have a day where we're going to encourage you to pay it forward at your local coffee IV that you go hook up to uh, on whatever morning. You know, if you go to Starbucks and that's your your IV for the morning, well, we're going to encourage you to pay for the person that's behind you in the drive-through. Hope they're not buying for like seven people. Uh, Pay for that person and then give them an invite card. You can pick those up on our Next Steps table and and tell the Starbucks barista, hey, I want to buy the persons behind me and would you just tell them a friend from City Walk loves them and just a really cool way to celebrate six months by loving our community. And so we're going to challenge you to do that uh, and I'm going to do that myself. And uh, it's going to be a, be a good day just to love our community and surprise them with kindness, uh, which is a fun thing to do. Well, as we are six months in, we've begun to, as a family, get to know many of you guys, and you've, you've begun to get to know some of us. Uh, and, and one of the things that you will get to know about my family, specifically my wife, and she's definitely brainwashed our daughters to be this way too, they are obsessed with cats so yeah you got some maybe some people like that in your family I, I'm not one. Of, I'm not like a cat hater I'm not when you have certain people that think all cats should not exist I'm not like that but I'm not passionate about cats the way my family is and this week this past week there were actually two occasions this past week one was uh, I was I was sitting at home I think I was with I forget one of my kids I was at home with one of my kids and I get this FaceTime from my wife, and she's at uh, some friends of ours that has like 108 kittens at their house right now, and she's holding this cat and has... Has I mean, literally, like, when she's holding a cat, her mind doesn't, she doesn't think straight. She's like, well, we could have this cat, and and all the hundred reasons, and and it's a free cat, and I'm like, baby, it has never been about the money when it comes to cats. Uh, We already have a cat. We already have a dog, but my wife, man, when she likes cats, it's, man, she was like a different person, and then a few days later, it may have been the same day even, We have a relative that got a new kitten and needed a home for that kitten for a few weeks till they went to college. And I was like, we love our relatives, but we're not keeping their cat. That... We have a cat, we have a dog, we had a really bad experience with a cat that peed all over our house a few years back, and so I'm scarred for life. But my wife, man, it was like, we don't get in arguments much, we don't yell, and she didn't yell, but my wife was upset, and I was upset, and it was all over a cat, because man, there's some passion there when it comes to this type of animal. And, and as I, I, I tell you that, because I want you to think, have you ever noticed that when you come across someone's passion, they lose their mind when, it, when, they come, when they start talking about what they're passionate about, or when they're doing the thing they're passionate about, sometimes they become a different person. Exhibit A grandparents with their grandkids, if you were to go to my mom's house, All the food we weren't allowed to eat as kids, she buys it for my kids in barrels to give to them. If you were to go to her pantry when we visit for her, I mean, you can't see the back of the pantry because of all the sugar cereals that are lining the whole thing, all the things we weren't allowed to have, and she has tons of them, and then when these run out, we've got barrels more in the, in the garage to refill these. And, and if you're a grandparent, you understand that you are passionate about your grandkids and you think differently And when, you, when you're around them, and, and just things change. Uh, another thing, and you're like, and I don't even care. Of course they do, and I'm glad. And, and that's maybe may your grandparent. you're like, I'll, I'll own up to that, absolutely. Yes, she, she's like, absolutely. Uh, and, and, and another one is your favorite sports team. Seriously, especially if your kids are on the team. that's a whole nother level of passion, but, but your favorite sports team and you know how it is, if someone criticizes your favorite sports team that you're like deeply passionate about, it, they might as well talk about your mom. In fact, you might want them to talk about your mom more than you would about your like you take it personal. When they start to, to talk about your team, man, it bothers you because you're passionate. And for you, every single game for your team, the refs have been paid off by the other team because you get all the bad calls. And that's just because you don't see it right. You don't see it straight. Every ref and umpire is against your team, and that's just the way it is. When you're passionate about something, you see through a different lens, and, and and one of the things that makes this life so worth living is passion. Passion gives life to life, and, and passion's one of those things that man is a gift, and it's vital. And here's why: passion directs perspective, while perspective directs influence. Let me say that again: passion directs perspective. While perspective directs influence. What you have passion for influences how you see the world, whether you like it or not. Again, grandparents. Just look at a grandparent. What you're passionate about, it definitely influences your perspective, how you see things. And that view of the world has huge ramifications for how you influence people. How you, and you know this, how you see the world, whether we mean to or not, has huge ramifications on the people that are close to us that we influence. If you want to see what someone is passionate about, look at the people they've influenced. Look at the people closest to them and and you'll know, okay, I I know what your mom or what your coach or what your boss is passionate about because of how they've influenced you. What we love most is evidenced by what we produce. And, and, and that's one of those things, it's not, it's not something you, you mean to happen, but it just is. What we love most is evidenced by what we produce. And, and for, let me give you a for instance. For instance, you, you find this person in, in the middle of Colorado with a Yankee hat on. Which, hey, great, they sell Yankee hats in Colorado. But, but then you say, oh, so you like the Yankees? And, and, and then there's a little story. Well, my grandpa grew up in the Northeast, and man, he was a diehard, watched Mickey Mantle play baseball, went to the games, and, and, and so my dad grew up a Yankee fan. And so, man, because grandpa and dad were passionate about it, now you got this, this 30-year-old in Colorado who's passionate about the Yankees because of the people that influenced him It just just happened, and he loves the Yankees because of those who have influenced him and their perspective. See, I can tell you what you're passionate about just by looking at those that you've influenced, And, and this is not a new idea. Obviously, you can think through your life. You can think through the people that you've had in your life and what they're passionate about and how they've influenced you based on the perspective that passion brings, and as you look throughout history, you see the same thing. Over the last few weeks, we've we've been looking at a guy in history by the name of Paul. And we've been kind of on a journey with this guy named Paul. And Paul was a man who at one time in his life was a passionate opponent of Jesus Christ. He was a passionate opponent and, and tried his very best to stamp out the movement that we know as Christianity, that's what he was passionate about, that's how he saw the world and who he influenced, knew that that's what he was passionate about because of his life. But everything changed for Paul. One day on his way to get rid of more Christians, he met Jesus Christ and everything changed for Paul to the point where he spent the rest of his life telling the story of Jesus and starting churches everywhere he went. See, his his passion changed, and so his perspective did, and the way he influenced people was totally different. And we, over the past few weeks, we've been looking at at one of those churches that he started in a city by the name of Philippi, and and he started this church kind of on accident. It wasn't a plan. He didn't plan to go to Philippi, but God led him to Philippi. While he was in Philippi, he began to influence people. He began to share the story of Jesus. People started coming to know Jesus. And before you know it, there's this church that we know as the church at Philippi that started. Ten years, fast forward ten years from when Paul helped start this church. He's sitting in a Roman prison 800 miles away. Many people, because of the social stigma that goes with being in prison, have kind of turned their back on Paul, but not the church at Philippi. In fact, the church at Philippi was very close to Paul, so close that they sent one of their pastors, one of their elders named Epaphroditus, to encourage Paul to take him a financial gift. They wanted to to help Paul as he was going through this extremely tough situation. Paul didn't know if he was going to live or if he was going to be executed. And so they sent Epaphroditus to help him as he sat in prison. And while Epaphroditus was visiting him and encouraging him, Epaphroditus got very sick to the point of almost dying. And once Epaphroditus got healthy and and was not going to die and things were going better for him on his health, Paul said, hey, I've got a letter. And I'd like you, Epaphroditus, to take this letter back 800 miles. And I want you to take it. I've written a very special letter to this church, this church at Philippi, and I'd like you to deliver this letter. And this letter that Paul wrote, and we began to look at it over the last few weeks, was a very special letter where Paul was thanking these people for their influence and their involvement in his ministry, and he was challenging them in this letter to continue to move forward in their walk with Jesus and become more like Jesus. And so he wrote this letter, and as you read this letter, as you begin to to look at what Paul said, even how he starts this letter, you can see Paul's passion on display. You don't have to wonder, hey, Paul, what are you passionate about? Because you can see it, and and it's why you look at Paul, whether you grew up in church or whether you're kind of new to faith or you're investigating, sometimes we look at Paul and say, how in the world did you have the perspective you have? How did you you have patience and long-suffering and joy in, in some of the things you went through? And it all goes back to what Paul was passionate about and how that passion influenced his perspective. We're going to pick up in Philippians chapter 1, and it's up on the screen or you can follow along in the app. And Paul says this in verse 12. He says this. He says, I want you to know brothers. These are his friends, people he loves dearly. He says that what has happened to me, me being in prison, has really served to advance the gospel. So as Paul's writing, these people are worried about Paul. Like Paul's in prison. He might be executed. He may not even, I mean, we we may never hear from Paul again. And so Paul, he says this, he says, I need you to know something. That what's happened to me, what you look at as as a hard time, what you look at as a huge roadblock, what you look at as something that's really hard in my life, is actually something that God has allowed me to be a part of to advance the gospel, to advance the movement of Jesus. That word advance is such an important word. It was a word that that was known as, it's a Greek military term, and what it is is, It's a Greek military term, and what would happen back in these days is when troops would go to fight, they would send people in to clear the path. And this word advance is the word they used when it was clearing the path so the troops could come in. And what Paul, he's saying is, hey, God has sent me to clear the path to make the road clear for the gospel to move forward. This is not a tragedy. This is not a, uh uh-oh, what is God doing? Did God make a mistake here? No, this is part of the plan to advance the gospel. And then he goes on, he says this. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Instead of Paul talking about the personal discomfort and the the, the, the tough things that were going on in his life, he says, man, this thing has turned out great because it's advancing the gospel. And he says, here's what's happened. See, there's these guards these elite Roman guards that were actually bodyguards for Caesar. They were the elite kind of army. Some say they were actually kingmakers back in the day. They had tons of influence, both militarily but also politically, because of who they were and their skill sets. He says, Man, you know what? These guards, they actually chain these guards to me 24 hours a day. And so, guess what happens? Every six hours, a new guard gets chained to me. Guess what we talk about? I mean, I, the guards are going to like the schedule, the, the spreadsheet on the wall. Oh, are you serious? Is it, I'm with Paul again? Come on. I already know what we're going to talk about. The boy won't shut up about this road to Damascus and, and meeting Jesus and telling me a story. But what happened is some of these elite Roman guards that were part of Caesar's bodyguards and kind of the, the, the very important group, some of them become, be, begin to come to Christ. And then what's also cool is Paul says, man, this, this thing's helping advance and the defense of the gospel because what was happening was the, the court system was taking this... This idea of Christianity and they were having to study the doctrines of Christianity to figure out if this was a legit religion or if it was just something they should push off. And so these people that had no desire to know Jesus were actually having to study about this movement to figure out if this was a legit thing that they should allow. And so Paul's like, this is working out great because the gospel is being advanced and Paul's passion for Christ caused him to look at his circumstances as God-given a God-given opportunity. See, one of the things I've noticed is that when I serve myself, I look at unfavorable circumstances as obstacles. Do you ever maybe does that happen to you? When, when it's kind of all about me, if something gets in the way, a roadblock gets in the way, I'm like, oh, i got to pray this out of my life. And God, this might be God's plan. This might be part of him moving the gospel forward. This might be part of him clearing out the path so the gospel can move forward. And, and, and Paul, man, his, his, his mindset was so different because of what his passion was. A lot of times what we have to do is we're like professional spinners, and what I mean by that spinning, I mean that in a political term. I mean, you, you know political people, they have to spin everything to make it look good for them. And when we serve ourselves, we have to spin, and we find ourselves doing it all the time. We're spinning our circumstances when we talk to other people to make them sound like they're not that bad, or, or it's, it's not the way it really is. And maybe it is the way it really is because it's part of God's plan to move the gospel forward. And so Paul, as he's writing, you see his passion just coming through as he talks about this this advancement of the gospel. Warren Wearsby said this. I think this quote's going to be up on the screen. It says this. The same God who used Moses' rod, Gideon's pitchers, and David's sling used Paul's chains. Little did the Romans realize that the chains they affixed to his wrist would release Paul instead of bind him. Then it goes on, look at verse 14. It says this, "...and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition." Not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Verse 18. What then? In our language, so what? What does it matter? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice. Yes, and I will rejoice. Paul's passion for Christ and the advancement of his message gave him an incredible perspective as he's sitting in prison, and there's two groups of people. Two groups of people that had the exact same message, but had totally different motives for why they were sharing that message. There were some people that that had because when because when Paul dealt with people, he he was if, if the message was messed up, then he was gonna deal with that. He he couldn't handle them messing with the gospel. But be, these People, the message was the same. It was the gospel. But there were people doing it for different reasons. Some, the scriptures say, were doing it for envy, kind of rivalry with Paul. For whatever reason, they didn't like Paul, and they took this opportunity while he was sidelined to kind of advance themselves. But then there was another group who was the same message and they were doing it man because they they were doing it because they loved Paul and out of a heart of goodwill and they they knew that Paul wasn't out and sharing the message where he usually is and so they they loved being a part of of that ministry and taking that message and, and Paul his his thing was you know what the advancement of the message not the advancement of Paul is what I'm about and so this is okay and, and what's interesting is Paul, he he looked past his own interest and focused on the fact that the gospel was moving forward. Paul was, and this is where we get slipped up, and I, I get slipped up with this. Paul was more concerned about the race he had been called to run. He didn't concern himself about other people's races, popularity, their rivalry. He's like, this is my lane. I'm here to share the gospel, I'm here to start churches, I'm going to do what I'm called to do, and there's going to be other people doing it in different ways, but man, as long as the message is the same, I don't care if he's more popular than me, or if he has more followers on Twitter than me, I'm good, I just want the message to move forward. So for Paul, man, if if he had Instagram and Twitter back then, he's all sharing his opponent's posts. He's so excited that the message is going out. He's liking everything they put out because he's just thankful, whether they like him or not, that the message is moving forward because Paul's passion influenced his perspective. And he had a passion for Jesus. And he just couldn't stop talking about him, and so he was excited when other people did that too. See, I'm sure, and this is is what's interesting. I'm sure that Paul encouraged the people that he influenced to be about sharing the message when he was outside of prison. I'm sure that's something they talked about. But what's interesting is his reaction to his imprisonment was actually the catalyst that got some of these people that weren't bold in the past to actually be bold with the message, And it's so interesting. I wrote this in my notes. We are rarely inspired by people who just have a lot of good things to say. It is when we see those words lived out that we are changed. They had heard Paul talk about the gospel. They had heard him, hey, share with people. But when they saw that their, their, their guy, Paul, was in prison and his perspective was still about getting the gospel out, it changed these people. And Paul says this, they actually became so bold with the message while I was in prison. Because they saw this guy, Paul, who wasn't just about, you know, like doing this thing when it was easy. Like this was really what his life was about. And it inspired them to be bold. When Paul was sitting in prison, chained to a guard, awaiting execution, and still passionate about the gospel, it changed these people. Look at verse 19. It says, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. What do you mean deliverance, Paul? You mean like get out of jail? Maybe. Or get out of life. He's like, you know what? Either way, I'm delivered. If they come in tomorrow and take me outside the city and behead me, life is good. If they come to the door and they unlock the door and take my chains off and say I'm released, life is good. I don't care. But I know I'm going to be delivered because of your prayers. It says this in verse 20. It is my eager expectation and hope that I will not be ashamed at all, at all ashamed, but with, that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honored. I don't care how the story ends. I just want to lift up Jesus. I don't care. I want to magnify Jesus. I want to exalt Jesus. I want to make much of Jesus. Jesus. Whether whether this thing ends with my head rolling around in the dirt or this thing ends with me walking out of this cell, I don't care. I just don't want to be ashamed of the gospel and I want to end this thing by exalting Jesus, whether that means release or execution. That's all I care about. It says this, that I honor in my body whether by life or by death. And then this verse that you've probably heard whether you grew up in church or not, it says this, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. What are you saying, Paul? Living means living for Christ and dying is even better. I think they're going to put this up on the screen. To live means basically to serve Christ. If I'm alive, I already know what I'm going to be doing with my life. It's what I've been doing. Just going to serve Jesus, going to love my neighbor, going to love God and love people. That's what I'm going to do. But if I die... I'm going to be with him. And that's going to be pretty cool. So I don't care. If I live, I'm going to serve Jesus. If I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. So let's flip a coin, whatever God says. I don't care. It says this, if I am, am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor, labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. Man, I don't know what. I, don't, I can't decide. I am hard-pressed between these two. My desire is to to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So Paul says this, hey, if I die, I'm with Jesus. But if I live, I'm helping you become more like Jesus. It's better for you. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul says, man, though death would benefit me, for me to stay here, it would help you make progress in your faith. It would help you become more like Jesus, and that's what I want to do. And so I think I'm probably going to end up staying here. Paul was, Paul was not concerned about the one thing most people would be concerned about if they were in his position. Most people would be concerned about dying. That was the thing on the bottom of the list for Paul. He just wasn't concerned about it. It's like, if I die, yeah, that's probably going to be scary for a second, but I'm going to be with Jesus. If I live, I'm going to just serve you and help you become more like Jesus. So I don't care. I remember uh, kind of a funny thing that happened in our family. My my grandma Fincham, she passed away a few years ago. That's not the funny part. Uh, But she died a few years ago. And and she's just like probably your grandma, really loved her kids, loved her grandkids, passionate about. She's one of those grandparents that her her mindset different when it was about the grandkids and about the kids. So man, passionate about her family. And one thing that we, we kind of all laughed at, she was dying of cancer. She was still uh, able to get around and stuff, but she knew her time on earth was not going to be long. And, and I remember as she was, was kind of moving towards the end of her life, that she wanted, one thing that she did is she wanted to make sure that she paid for her funeral expenses with her Discover card so that her kids would get the cash back for what she spent. And I remember it's like this is not this is kind of weird but she was laughing about it and I just remember thinking about that and thinking grandma you're not even worried like We're all concerned for you and what's going on in your life, but you're not even concerned about about what's going to happen. You're still thinking about us, and you're still, because of what you're so passionate about, you're still thinking about serving your family, and you're not concerned about what everybody else is concerned about for you, because you love your family so much. And Paul was that guy that, man, when everybody else was like, is Paul still okay? That was the least of his worries, And he goes on in verse 27, it says this, And let your manner of life, this is kind of a political phrase back in this day, basically means your your citizenship, how you behave as citizens, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, this, this place where these people were, Philippi, prided itself on being a Roman colony. It, it prided itself on, in their minds, the honor and privilege of being a Roman citizen. And, and here's what Paul was saying to them. He was saying, you know what? Hey, let me remind you that you know, you know what? That Christ, not Caesar is your model for behavior. And so as you're going through life, I want you to act as citizens of the country you're really loyal to, and that's the country of heaven. That's the King Jesus, not Caesar. I want you to act in a way that's consistent with this message. Act as a citizen of the true country that you're from, not Rome. And, 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 and I wrote this in my notes, the most important weapon against the enemy is not a stirring sermon or a powerful book, it is a consistent life of a believer. And Paul knew that. And so he's saying, you know what, you know, I can get out of here and come and do what I do, and I can write a letter, but at the end of the day, if you act like Jesus... If you act like King Jesus, if you remember your loyalty is to Jesus, if that transforms your life, that's the only message. That message is so effective. And so act as if you're loyal to King Jesus. Act in a way that's worthy of the message of the gospel. Live in a way that when people look at you, it points them to Jesus. Then he goes on and he says this in verse 28. Don't be frightened. Maintain that courage in anything by your opponents. And he's saying, don't be afraid. And and this, the picture here is of horses that would go into battle and when they would get in the middle of the battle, they would get afraid and they would start to run and they would start to go crazy because they got afraid in battle. And he's saying, don't be like that. Have courage. Don't be afraid in the midst of this battle. I man, stay focused. Be brave. This is a clear sign to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Engaged in the same conflict that you saw I had and now hear that I still have. And so Paul, as, he, as he, we kind of close up this section, he's, he encourages the reader. He says, Don't step back and be scared. There's people out there that are bold with this message. They're, 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 they're doing things they never would have done before but now they're they're bold with this message but man I know what it's like. I know that in, in where you live it's not popular to follow Jesus. I know you're being persecuted. I know you're being invited into suffering. They talked about suffering like it was a gift invited into suffering like I've been invited into suffering. Don't be afraid as you go into battle, don't 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 move, don't be afraid. stay focused and, and when you do that, Here's what happens. Your courage as you face opponents actually reinforces that you're a follower of Jesus. The courage you have when you shouldn't have courage actually reinforces that King Jesus is Lord of your life. And so, as we close, I want you to think about something. Because we don't live in Philippi. And it's, you know... It's not as tough to maybe follow Jesus in Marysville, Yuba City, Gridley, wherever you're from. But I would bet that, you know what, to to really live a life that's worthy of the gospel, to live a life that that magnifies Jesus is not easy to do. And and Paul says this, man, as you're invited into suffering and as you're going through this, I want you to not be afraid. But here's also something that's so important Don't be afraid, but don't do this alone, because it's really hard to battle alone. That's why you will hear us talk till we're blue in the face about being a part of a city group, because city groups are banding together with people that don't have it all together, that have some really bad days, just like they have some good days, but they're they're together, studying the scriptures together. They're, they're helping each other when the other one is struggling. They're doing life together. And, and that's so important because it's so hard to do this alone. Why Paul was able to continue to do this was he had all these people that said, you know what? We're with you, Paul. We're willing to send someone 800 miles by foot or horse to spend time with you for the sole purpose of encouraging you and bringing you gifts. Because, Paul, you've taught us not to do this alone. And we actually believe that. And so, man, we meet in our house, and we have our little church at Philippi, and, and, man, we do life alone, or we do it together, not alone. As you read about Paul, and, and as I read about Paul, do you ever feel like as you, as you read about Paul, you kind of find yourself feeling like a JV follower of Jesus? Like, yes, yeah, I think about Paul, you know what, I, they may call me up at the end of the year to be on the varsity team, but I'm definitely starting on the JV team because Paul is got like a different level. And, and it's, sometimes we do that with people in the Bible we look at him like, yeah, that's, maybe, I'm, I'm probably like freshman team, but definitely not where Paul's at. But you know what it came down to for Paul? That statement we started with. Passion directs perspective, while perspective directs influence. What we love has a drastic effect on how we see the world. You know that. What we love most is evidenced in what we reproduce. Paul loved Jesus and as a result, loved what Jesus loved. Just was, It is what it is. And so as you, you look at Paul, and, it, and many times it's easy to kind of put him up on a pedestal. It's at the end of the day, Paul just was passionate about Jesus just like you're passionate about things. And his life was consistent with that passion. Just like your life and my life are consistent with the passions that we have. And so part of moving forward to becoming more like Jesus is asking some hard questions. And so I want you to think about this as we close. What do, I, what do you love most? Like, really? Like, what are you most passionate about? And probably a better, better thing to ask ourselves is, you know what? Not what do you think you're passionate about, but let's ask all the people closest to you, hey, what is Chris really passionate about? I know what he talks about, but you know him. What's he really passionate about? And and as you start to ask yourself those questions and as you start to look at, okay, what is my life reproducing? Like when when you look at the people around me and the the people that I influence, what do they look like based on what I'm passionate about and what I influence them with? Because the story will tell itself if we ask those hard questions. And so last week I, I asked you to make a bold proclamation in your heart. If you were here last week, I, I ask you to make this proclamation in your heart, and it's simply this, Jesus, I want to be more like you. And, and, and I ask you to do that, and we even gave you a bracelet that has the word forward on it, so that when you looked at that word forward, you would know that for you, if you're a follower of Christ, moving forward means looking more like Jesus, And we also encouraged you when you looked at that bracelet to think of people that were close to you. And as you pray for them, pray for them that they would too look more like Jesus. If you didn't get a bracelet last week, we have some on Next Steps booth. I hope you'll pick one up. But this week, would you pray a bold prayer in your heart? And I want to close with this. I asked you last week to pray. Make a proclamation in your heart, just simply, Jesus, I want to be more like you. But I I want to ask you to pray a bold prayer in your heart today. And here's the prayer I want you to pray, not out loud, I just want you, between you and God, and I want you to not necessarily pray it now, but pray it throughout this week. Jesus, help me to love you above all, which will lead me to love what you love. Would you, be, would you be willing in, in your heart, just between you and God, this week, say, you know what? If I, if I was to look at my life, yeah, I'm definitely passionate about some things, and passion's a gift. It's not bad to be passionate about things. It's great. It makes life worth living. But would you ask Jesus, man, Jesus, would you help me to love you above all, above all my other passions, would you be my first? Because I know if, if you're my first, then like Paul, I will begin to love what you love. I won't have to make myself. It'll just happen. And that's the beauty of the body of Christ, is that when we begin to love and grow to be more like Jesus, we begin without thinking to start being Jesus to other people. And that's when cities, states, schools, workplaces are changed. When people begin to love what Jesus loved and become more like him. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Lord, as we close this morning, we're thankful for the Apostle Paul. We're thankful for his ministry. Lord, we are staggered sometimes, if we're honest, by the perspective he had. Lord, we didn't even talk about it today, but man, he was beaten severely several times. He was shipwrecked and, and the list goes on but yet because of what his passion was it influenced his perspective in a way that is astounding and today now 2,000 years later we look back and we have we, we hear of churches that he started and influence and how literally the gospel went throughout the world and God I pray for each of us as it is uh, our enemy that seeks to Make us maybe not not love you, but just love you less. Love you second, third, fourth. Keep you on our maybe belt as one of the tools, but not make you the king that you are. And God, I pray that, that we would be a people, whether we are longtime followers of you, whether we're just investigating this thing called faith, that we would be people that this week pray and ask you to help us love you above all, and then as a result, love what you loved. Jesus, we ask that you would change us for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.